This episode of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is brought to you by BunnySlippers.com. Check out their Highland Cow Slipper over at BunnySlippers.com. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos is hosted by D.B. Spitzer, edited and produced by him as well, and produced in Portland, Oregon at Badger's Drift Studio. Today we will be talking about Galaki, a little bit about Ramsey Campbell, we will have David Heath, and Ken Hyde. Why not help support the show by checking out the t-shirts that we have, and supporting the show by checking out the t-shirts that our sponsors have. Go to founddoutofclothing.com and check out their cool t-shirts. Go to pgttcm.com. Check out our cool t-shirts. Hey, did I tell you about that cool base I made out of a piece of 2x4? I just hooked it up to my soundboard. We'll find out if it sounds good. Let's talk to Ken Hyde. I wonder if this is what Blackie sounds like, burrowing into your dreams, the spines. Maybe this is what it sounds like right before the green death takes you. I'll find out soon enough. Another sunlight this year. Oh, let's go. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, all that kind of fun stuff. Go to Instagram. We are Cthulhu Guy Podcast. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're in your face. Check out Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans, Articulate Warbling, all on Facebook. Wash your hands. Treat everyone with respect and dignity. Don't be an asshole. All right, let's go. Editor's note, it made it sound kind of like garbage, but in a cool way, so I'm leaving it in. Here we go with David Heath. Uh, my name is David, and I've been asked by uh, DB here to talk a little bit about one of my favorite uh, non-Lovecraftian uh, mythos deities, and that is Glocky. Uh, Glocky was created by Ramsey Campbell, and I talked a little bit about him when I uh, talked about Campbell Country. He's basically this amphibious giant porcupine that has needles that have poison in it, and his cultists basically impale other people on these spines, and if it's done right, they get this sort of immortality, and they become kind of almost like a a leech. Uh, If it's done wrong, then they become a zombie. And when Glocky is, for what we humans would describe as awake, these leech creatures, basically, they share this interconnection with him. But when he's asleep, they get a little bit of their their personality as well as their, their free will back. But they retain these flashes and memories and sort of crazy dreamlike bits of information from when they were possessed by Glocky. And uh, as I said in the previous post when I was talking about uh, Campbell Country, Glocky is a perfect deity for a keeper who wants to run a Call of Cthulhu uh, adventure. You know, the first Call of Cthulhu adventure I ever wrote 
you know, for my players, uh, it had glocky, you know, where you only could see the spikes, you know, over the wall, you know, uh, of the water, kind of like a shark fin. And then if, you know, they took a plane and flew over the lake, they could see kind of the form underneath. Um, one of my favorite games I ever ran was actually a GURPS uh, Detachment 23. So they were a special unit that was tracking down weird things during World War II. And uh, the players went to Skull Island, which during my game was occupied, it was in the South Pacific, and it was occupied by the Japanese. And so they went on a, a, a recon mission there, and they had to encounter... Uh, you know, dinosaurs and and other jungle creatures, and they found a, a crashed UFO. But they also found that the the uh, Japanese were doing this uh, ritual to reach out to uh, Glocky, who was in uh, the bottom of a lake there. And a part of the uh, adventure as an NPC, I actually had them have um, uh, Jenny Sparks, who's from the you know the Authority. She She's a century baby, so she lives, you know, a hundred years. So she fought during World War II for the English Army. And her power is power of electricity. So she goes into the water and basically electrocutes Glocky. And then the players have to go and rescue her and, you know, uh, revive her before she dies. Uh, But by electrocuting the, the lake, they were able to destroy this manifestation of Glocky. Uh, one of the last uh, Call of Cthulhu games I played as a player was a, a, a Glocky adventure. And I, I bring this up again because I think it's very important to sort of preface what I'm going to say about this particular aspect of Glocky, is that a lot of it has been fine-tuned because of and for the different role-playing game supplements. And what we're going to now talk about is... Glocky as the Revelator. So, if you're going to be a, a a major factor in mythos writing, you've got to bring to the table your own set of new occult books. And Lovecraft, you know, started this with the Necronomicon, the most famous and the you know most famous occult tomb in what we call the, the Cthulhu Mythos. But, you know, he even got the idea probably from Chambers, The King in Yellow. So Clark Ashton Smith, he creates the Book of Iben. Robert Block gets uh, Divernimus Mysteries. Robert E. Howard, you know, gets uh, Nameless Cults. Campbell can't be left out of this either. So he creates The Revelation of Glocky, which is a series of books so remember how I said that, that you know, when Glocky stabbed a person uh, with its porcupine spines and there was chemicals or ichor in it and it made them into leeches? Well, when Glocky is awake, he, they are his complete slaves and do what he controls them. But when he's asleep, they've still got some memory of what who they are free will they they still so, partly who they are but they have these flashes of of this arcane occult knowledge from glocky and as such 
his cultists start writing this down. And there's sort of, in this series of books, there's some for the masters and there's some for the servants. And what this does is, of course, it's mainly about the entities and deities that are in the geographical area or that maybe Glocky interacted with because, let's face it, um, Cthulian deities are very sort of territorial or they're very standoffish at least. And so they'll have some of this knowledge and it works really good for a Campbell book because this book, you know, when he needs to do a narrative about this particular god, well, volume whatever talked about whatever, you know, deity in the Campbell verse. And so it, it is a prop, it is a tool, but it's a little bit different in the fact that it's partly written by human beings, but human beings with a touch of the divine in them. And, you know, we have Al-Hazarad, uh, who studied all these mysteries and wrote down the Necronomicon. These are almost, these are people that are, and I hate to use the word divine, but the supernatural was literally in them. And these are what their minds could absorb when they're in this undead form. So they're not quite humans anymore, but they're not the same as you know, pure essence of Glocky and are able to basically put in a way that human beings can understand because, you know, they can't relay the true knowledge, power of Glocky only in some sort of written form that human beings can understand. These writings and scribblings, they're all sort of gathered up and made into... 11 different books. So there's a 12th, maybe a 13th lost. So they're kind of the Gnostic, sort of the greater knowledge of, of Glocky that are lost. But as a, a keeper or a game master, that's great because, oh, I'm going to do the 13th, uh, you know, volume of the Revelations of Glo uh, Glocky. And, and it could be about anything you want it to be because no one else knows what it is. So... To Campbell, this is his ticket into, you know, the big boys table at, the adult table at, um, you know, the writers of, of Cthulhu Mythos. You know, it, it's, he has to pat, have this to, to be up at that level. But it's also, you know, a plot device. There's nothing wrong with plot devices. But the, we really get into the gritty and sort of the, uh, you know, nuts and bolts when it starts getting torn apart for role-playing games. And so he gives us basic outline, but we get, as these RPGs, we get more information what each uh, volume was and had in it. So I'm going to talk about a little bit about different people's interpretations, and most of this I got as, as game supplements. And... In my sort of view version of, of the mythos, uh, RPG games are completely usable canon, especially Chaosium. So each of these books basically have uh, a dedicated to one aspect of the mythos. Now, put together, if you read all of them, 
you know, game terms, you get, you know, 17, up to 17 points of Cthulhu knowledge, which is pretty heavy. So together it gives you this really sort of, read together you get this overarching idea of the true nature of the cosmos. But a separate, each book gives you about one deity or alien usually. You know, the first one talks about the witch cult, but it talks about Glocky, of course. And, and then there's another one about, you know, the deity Biotis. And then there's another one uh, about, you know, the the Shan. So it gives a keeper and a game master, you know, I want them to know a little bit about this, you know, alien that's, you know, putting parasites in these creatures or these humans' brains to control them, but I'm not want to give them the whole um, the picture there. They can with just, you know, defining one book, but then if they get the entire library, you see how the pieces of the, the cruel galactic universe fit in. So, in Chaosium's uh, Keeper Guide, Volume 2, uh, it says that these basically writings, these notebooks that were made by um, Glocky's followers, and it wasn't just one person, it was different ones over the decades, were published in 1895 by Supremus uh, Press, and it was believed to be uh, from a renegade or a a stolen from a member of the cult. And, And there's sort of an assumed dumbing down you know, you have the the terrible di- divine knowledge for you know being possessed by Glocky. Th- then you have uh, the notes from you know his worshippers, and then you have the you know the published printed edition where things are left out and where it's edi- edited. So the closer you get to the deity, the closer you get to the terrible truths. Now, um, online I found uh, the Miskatonic Debate Society. They have this breakdown of uh, the revelations of Glocky, and I really uh, enjoy what they did, and they have quite a bit of uh, Ramsey Campbell uh, writings uh, broken down where it, it sort of defends it. But they go on and they add some, and uh, um, they add that there was also a uh, golden goblin version of the um, uh, the book, and of course that's what uh, Lovecraft did and several other. Is it sort of the the really watered down version, uh, where heavily edited, to where you know it's it, it's more like you know. The Golden Bough as a collection of folklore as opposed to true cosmic deity information or in the true nature of the universe. And then they have, and they say this is from cold print, and, and it's been years since I've read cold print, so I, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to take their word for it, but that there was a comic book sort of science fiction um version called the uh, pulp called the, the revelations of Glakai 
and that it's not have, again, it's farther from the truth, but it's sort of this gateway to get people interested into um, Glocky. And I have realized, too, that uh, I just called him Glakai. And to be honest, for years, that's what I thought it was by just reading it. But everyone I've talked to, and, and you all know that I can barely pronounce English sometimes, let alone, you know, these alien language names. But um, even though I, sometimes I fall back and call it Glakai, uh, everyone I've talked to, it, it is Glocky. So if you are thinking of running a Glocky uh, story, writing a Glocky story, or running a Glocky based uh, role playing adventure, I highly suggest checking out um, uh, Mescatonic Debate and Literature Society's uh, writing. You can just Google um, uh, Revelations of Glocky uh, Mescatonic Debate Society, and, and it'll be the first choice. And even if you're just sort of interested on how people add on to this growing mythos, it's a great example. You can also find uh, of information on uh, the revelations of Glocky uh, from our uh, good friends at Delta Green. You can find this online in Delta Green Report 1191. And this uh, is about... Uh, a, a, a copy of the revelations of Glocky being stolen from a, a, a college library. And it talks about how uh, Glocky was first uh, known as a Samaritan deity where, you know, people were apparently uh, impaled on uh, large stakes and then became, you know, a Phoenician. And then in the advent of Christianity, he was seen as a sort of a minor demon or devil. Then it is mentioned in a 16th century book called The Black Pullet, where it is um, seen as a, a minor, a second to uh, Azathoth. And then it talks about, um, you know, the writing of the, the revelations of Glocky from a, a witch cult. It's sort of a, a starter or a jump-off point for an adventure where uh, the revelations of Glocky are um, stolen from a, a library and uh, the players, you know, a jumping off point where they, they can be an adventure for them to find it. Uh, but it does add a little bit more, I think, detail, color, and or flavor to, uh, to the story. Um, and hopefully by sort of diving into the role-playing aspect, what's been written down, we get a little better idea of who uh, Glocky was. Uh, my name is David. Uh, I do a podcast called Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigan. I have a blog site called uh, Dave's Corner of the Universe. And I don't know about you, but I am really in the mood to either run or play uh, some sort of role-playing game which cocks about or has a Glocky in it. See you at the table. Thanks again, Dave, for talking about Glocky. Up next, we're going to have Ken Height. If you want to find out more about Dave, check out Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans, Dave's Corner of the Universe, and of course, Dave's Corner of the Podcast. After we talk to Ken, Dave is going to talk more about Algernon Blackwood. All right, here we go with Ken. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Today, we have our guest, 
I, 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 I hate to even call him a guest, a, a prominent position at People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. <laughs> prominent That's, unpaid position. <laughs> right, I, I'm, I'm more like the Kramer. I just sort of bust in and eat all your cereal. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to have to get more cereal. <laughs> wacky neighbor. Yeah, uh, how's, how, how are you doing these days, Ken? Uh, good enough. Uh, Chicago has turned the corner on the weather finally, so nice. it's glorious outside. I can now hang out in my backyard. Everything's magical. Um, uh, Community is on Netflix, so that uh, that that keeps me busy every That's now and again. That's super cool. And uh, beginning to start... Uh, uh, some uh, heavier research. I've got uh, a couple of books on the on the Hellenistic era that are paying dividends. So nice. Yeah, it's not it's not uh, progress or productivity the way that we understand it. But uh -huh. for 2020, it's pretty good, I guess, is what okay. I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'm I'm excited about that Hellenistic book. I'm super excited about Me that. Me too. Yeah, I'm, I'll be very excited about it. All right. So. Today we were going to be talking about Glacky, which yeah. uh, as, as uh, in, in past segments, it's like, well, I need someone to talk about something because I can only read Wikipedia so many times and try and get something new out of it. So People love Wikipedia, though. <laughs> oh, <stuff>. oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I figured I'd have you on the show. I, I, my, my background on Glacky is pretty much just from RPGs and descriptions from the RPGs about some some yellow slug guy, if I'm correct, that uh, came to Earth in a crater is in Brychester, England, kind of, I don't know, in the Severn Valley. Is, is, is any of that right? Uh, I don't know what color Glacky is. Okay. Um, in my sort of mental image, he's more sort of slug colored than yellow, gotcha. but you know. I'm sure there's yellow slugs out there. I'm not. I'm not being picky. Um, I know that his uh, servitors, the Glockeen, uh, get the green decay when they've been out in the sun too much. So maybe he's greenish. Oh, maybe. That's, maybe. That's all I know. Um, yeah. So yeah, he arrived on Earth in a meteor uh, that uh, hit uh, near a lake, or it hit and became a lake in uh, the Severn Valley, which is a real valley in England. It's basically uh, the valley between England and Wales, although Gloucestershire is kind of on both sides of the valley, and, and uh, Wales is just a little bit over. But it's basically that area. Uh, Brichester is um, Ramsey Campbell's version of Arkham, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. Uh, he created it uh, in a cycle of stories that were published by August Erleth in, uh, for Arkham House as the inhabitant of the lake and less welcome tenants and the um and the uh the sort of the the the, the title story of that collection the inhabitant of the lake mm -hmm. is the story in which glacky is revealed to us uh -huh. and uh and he uh as you say he, he came to earth in a meteor uh the meteor made a lake he lives underneath the lake um and he molds and shapes the dreams of people that uh are too near his lake and at one point, a cult uh, set up shop uh, right down by the lake, um, built little houses there and lived and uh, wrote The Revelations of Glacky, uh, which was apparently a, a series of sort of dream diaries kept by everyone in the cult. Huh. And then 
uh, a fellow named Percy Smallbeam uh, took those diaries and uh, redacted and edited them down into nine volumes of the Revelations of Glacky. The, the handwritten diaries were the 11 volumes, and then according to the story Cold Print, which is not one of those stories uh, from that first set, uh, according to the story Cold Print, um, uh, there is a secret 12th volume of the Revelations of Glacky that is so horrific that merely reading a paragraph of it opens you to possession by Yagalanak, who's a whole different deal. He's uh, not black. Yeah. <laughs> People get, um, uh, get uh, they, they say, well, that's Ramsey Campbell's great old one is Yagalanak, and we all love Yagalanak because he's got no head and he's got mm -hmm. mouths in his hands and he's great fun and he's, um, uh, he's he likes the deviants. He's into mm -hmm. the deviants. So I think Yagalanak gets a lot of uh, press and Glacky just sits there at the bottom of his lake. <laughs> yeah, he's described as being, I think, 10 feet around. Mm -hmm. um, and he's got, so he's, he's like a little tiny deep one, a great old one. And he's got uh, pyramids on the, on the underside of him. And I never know if they're pointed pyramids uh, or if the points touch his belly and he walks on the bottom of the pyramids. Yeah. Just the notion of pyramidal feet is weird. And then you're not really paying attention to the feet, though, because he's got three scary eyes and he's covered in spines. Yeah. And when his spines uh, get you, uh, you become one of the Glaquin, one of the, 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 uh, uh, the not undead, but sort of preserved dead. Um, and then you just sort of do his bidding. Huh. And the, the spine pumps a venom into you. And so you become uh, a little stiff when you move around. Uh, there's an area in your body where the spine hits you that, uh, that no longer bleeds, uh, which, according to Campbell, is why Matthew Hopkins was looking for uh, uh, witches' marks on people, areas uh -huh. that don't bleed. Um, uh, he was looking, of course, over in Essex and, uh, and East Anglia, which is the whole other side of the island from the Severn Valley. So he was probably just finding innocent people with uh, moles. Uh, but in, in the Severn Valley, if you've uh, got an area that doesn't bleed, then yeah, that's where the Glacine spine got you. And, oh, and right. you were. Um, uh, and then, as I alluded to, you, you walk around as a Glacine and you live about 60 years as a Glacine without aging. And it's, at some point, the green decay takes you and you just go away. And the green decay, of course, gets you more if you are in the sunlight. So they stay out of the sunlight and they lurk around in the forests, uh, in the, in the thick forest by, uh, by that lake, which is called, uh, in a later story, it, it has no name in the original story. The lake is, is, is untitled despite being the titular lake, but in a later story called the last revelation of Glocky, uh, Campbell calls it uh, starfall water. Hmm. And that's the name of the lake. So it is a meteor crater. Um, and uh, and that's where Glocky lives. And then later writers have sort of said, well, he's a great old one. He can go between lakes. And so they put him in a lake in New York or a lake in New Guinea or a lake in wherever. Wherever there's a creepy lake, Glocky is maybe at the bottom of it. So he's sort of like Lake Cthulhu in a way, I guess. <laughs> I'm just thinking about, okay, so he has teleportation, create undead. Uh, I don't know if he's an old one as much as he is just maybe a... Powerful wizard slug. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the here's the thing, right? We don't know. Uh, we we don't know what the 
what the, uh, the, 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 the certification process is. Oh, sure, to become yeah. a <laughs> But on the one hand, he was able to keep the meteor that uh, his dead city was, was on. Uh-huh. Apparently a planet blew up at some point in the eons away past and way out in space. Uh, and uh, a meteor, an asteroid fragment that had a city on it, survived, and apparently it survived thanks to Glocky's power. Okay. And then he was able to keep that meteor intact, or at least keep the city intact, mm-hmm. so that when the meteor hit, the city is now at the bottom of his lake. So he's at the very least got the same sort of powerful uh, preservation spells that uh, Cthulhu has, right? Okay. Because Cthulhu is described, of course, as the high priest of uh, of his of Raleigh. Uh, and so... Uh, and Cthulhu uh, casts spells, according to Old Castro, that keep him and his fellow uh, uh, Zothians in suspended animation mm-hmm. until the stars come right. So maybe Glocky again. He's he's like he's like Cthulhu, and he okay. has the same sort of preservational spell casting ability, plus the dream thing. And in um, Last Revelation of Glocky, uh, they quote a little bit of the revelations that says, "Oh Cthulhu." just sends his dreams. Uh, Glocky changes your dreams. Glocky's uh-huh. much better. And I think that's a <laughs> distinction without a difference, quite frankly. If Cthulhu sends dreams so powerful that they override your dreams, yeah. and Glocky just morphs your dreams into whatever Glocky wants you to dream about, that's basically the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, as a, from the dreamer's perspective? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're still not dreaming your own dreams. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, the, the bottom line is, some uh, more or less slug-like entity, possibly with pyramidal feet, is controlling your dreams. Yeah, that's yeah. that's our takeaway. All right. So, my question is: is how does Glacky compare to other great old ones? I mean, like as you said, there's really no process of labeling, but like, uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's like I, I'm thinking about like. Uh, is 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 Glacky kind of like the smallest of the great old ones, or is I don't know? I, I just keep thinking: Are we misclassifying Glacky? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess here's the question, right? I mean, we've we've talked, yeah. Although I don't know if it made it. Uh, this might have been the episode, the famous Lost episode, but we've talked about Rantigoth. Yes, who's yes. basically just a teeny beansy old one. Sure, right? He's twenty feet tall, and he can fit in a wax museum. Yep. So Glacky, I mean, if he's 10 feet around, he's no taller than Rantigoth. He may be longer because yeah. he's a big old long thing in a lake. Uh, but the lake is only half a mile across, okay. according to Campbell. So even if he's as long as he could possibly be, he can't be that long. Sure. Um, so not compared to Cthulhu, uh-huh. who is a mountain size. So the... <laughs> So the, the, the question is, um, is Glocky, you know, what, like you say, what makes a great old one? Is it just sheer power? Mm-hmm. Uh, does Glocky have the power? Um, is it the fact of a human cult makes you a great old one? And the whole cosmos is full of uh, psychic space slugs that have some magic, but unless they get worshipped by humans or Mego or something, they're not really great old ones. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, and then, of course, that leads to the other question of uh, races like the Migo, species like the Migo, mm-hmm. uh, they worship near Lathotep. We know that. Yeah. And they placate Shubnagurath, at least while they're on Earth. Mm-hmm. But they don't really seem to worship or care about Cthulhu or any of the sort of 
you know, great old one step, yeah. right? They, they've got the gods that they're very concerned with. The Shan, of course, worship Azathoth, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But it, I think if you're at that next level of evolution, if you're one of the, the top dog species like the Migo, mm-hmm. great old ones are, are more like a traffic hazard than they are a, a, a god. I don't know gotcha. that Migo would have a, would have a, uh, would have a Cthulhu cult, yeah. although they might have a Yogg-Sothoth cult, right? Yeah. So maybe that's the, I mean, I mean, we have the top line is if you're worshipped by the Migo, you're a god. If you're worshipped by people or something similarly feckless and worthless, mm-hmm. like the, the Vormi or, or whoever, you're a great old one. Okay. And of course, the um, the serpent folk worship both Yig and Sathagwa. Mm-hmm. So that sort of puts them down on our level. Okay. Or it implies that our math is wrong and there's actually some... Uh, you know, Migo cult of Cthulhu off on his home planet, <laughs> worshiping the the place that he left, and saying that when the stars come right, he's going to come back and 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 restore everything. All right. So who can say? <laughs> um, but but yeah, he's 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 kind of small. Um, he doesn't seem to be able to like, you know, he's he's he's. I mean, Rilia is at the literal pole of inaccessibility on Earth. It's as far as it can be from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um. And Cthulhu is able to force his dreams into the entire world, at least when there's an earthquake. And even, you know, when there's not, his dreams, you know, seep in and, and give people, you know, magic inspiration in Arabia or China. So that's, you know, continents away. But Glocky doesn't really seem to be able to dream much past his lake. Huh. That's it's kind of like uh, part of my brain's going like maybe great old ones are like goldfish. They they're only as big as the amount of water that they're left in. <laughs> as big as their as, as big as their jar. <laughs> maybe. I mean, I mean, we know that they're uh, that the, the, they are sort of rubbery and plastic and expand. Yeah. <laughs> by and large, so that's uh, that's a possibility. Oh yeah. <clears throat> so, how if if you were going to I don't know I recommend like uh, if if I'm I'm I guess I'm asking you how would you use uh, Glacky in a RPG or a short story like uh, like of course have like a body of water but what kind of elements does like Glacky bring to a story is there kind of like you know, like Haster has kind of like uh, decay and Cthulhu madness, and people always kind of like hang certain tropes on certain great old ones. Does Glacky have anything besides, I don't know, being British and living <laughs> at a lake? <laughs> living at a lake. I mean, I, I guess, I mean, obviously, a good author can make a great story about anything. Sure. Um, and in Children of Glacky, you've got some very good authors indeed. You've got Nick Mamadus, you've got Oren Gray, mm-hmm. you've got a number of, of really good writers. And, uh, and and like most Cthulhu Mythos anthologies, it's it, in terms of quality, it's wildly all over the map. Yeah. Um, but I think that the things that those guys seem to seize on are twofold. Either that it's about obsession and specifically artistic obsession, because uh-huh. of course an inhabitant of the lake the guy's a painter okay, who yeah. goes down to the to the lake. And so uh, you get that. You get sort of bibliophily is is another one. So uh, uh, Last Revelation of Glocky Campbell's story is about a guy who's hunting down the last surviving copies of the Revelations of Glocky, the uh, nine-volume uh, 1865 edition. Um, and uh, the sort of uh, 
uh, initiatory experience he has finding them. And then that, of course, ties in with the very uh, prose-centered uh, uh, impact of Yagalanek. I think that a lot of um, Campbell's uh, mythos really does focus on, on, on written words and on uh, depictions in a way that even Lovecraft doesn't. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, you can, you know, if you're playing Bookhounds of London, obviously a, a copy of the Revelations of Glocky can, can turn up or one volume can and set you off on a thrilling adventure. The Glockian make great uh, sort of mook bad guys because mm -hmm, they're mm -hmm. zombie-like. They move a little bit slowly. They have to go out at night but they're all part of a hive mind, and so they can instantly transmit their knowledge back and forth. And those spines that can pierce anything and mm -hmm. fill you with glocky venom are a, a pretty cool vet, uh, weapon. Yeah. Um, so I would say that you can have any number of sort of secret world stories that uh, can focus on glocky. Also, uh, uh, Campbell's two stories aside, there's not a lot of glocky canon. Yeah. Uh, so no one's going to yell at you if your story contradicts, you know, I don't know, some Donald Burleson story from 1995 because gotcha. no one cares. All right. Um, it's, it's not the great it, – it's not like uh, Yogg-Sothoth where, you know, there's a lot of stuff about him and you mm -hmm. could maybe – I don't say get that wrong, but you, yeah. could, you could be cutting against the uh, assumptions. Whereas with Glocky, as you sort of say, people don't really have any assumptions. So whatever you do with Glocky – uh, can be fun and it can be a, a, a fun cult. Um, uh, uh, Campbell, of course, uh, changed Glocky's spelling from between 1964 and now. Now he spells Glocky with a with an uh, an apostrophe mm -hmm. between the two A's. So we yeah. Glocky, right? Glocky. I'm not going to say that because it's stupid. Um, and in uh, Last Revelation of Glocky, he even says that Percy Smallbeam probably took the glottal stop out just so that um, uh, the book would be easier to typeset. <laughs> so he explains his own previous spelling of Glocky as a misspelling. But, uh, but, but I grew up on no glottal stop, two A's Glocky, and that's how I'm going to pronounce yeah, it. Same so, here. <laughs> yeah, same here. But, but you could imagine, because uh, uh, if you wanted to have, I don't know, uh, you could have two cults of Glocky, one that worships him, in the, the 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 small beam tradition with no glottal stop, mm -hmm. and the other that's like no, that's the false glocky, that's the <laughs> seeming of glocky. True glocky is glocky, and uh, and we worship proper glocky with the handwritten revelations, and and you can imagine sort oh, of a, wow. a reform and orthodox glockiest um, or uh, uh, cults uh, having a war, and you're caught between two of them. And neither of them is, you know, anywhere near the lake, so their supply of glocky spines is is limited. <laughs> and of course, whenever they make a glocky, and it only serves the god in the lake, it doesn't serve sure. the cult leader. So they do sort of weird, unpredictable things, because the god in the lake actually wants, you know, some other third agenda that both of his human cults are wrong about now. That's that's crazy stuff, Ken. Now, a moment ago, you mentioned something about Bookhounds of London. Can can you uh, uh, expand on that? I, I I've heard bits and pieces of you talk about books Hounds of London here and there on uh, Ken and Robin, um, but I know some of my listeners don't necessarily hear that or may not know what it is. But what what is it? Uh, book Hounds of London is a book, uh, a role playing game supplement, a campaign frame basically that I wrote for Trail of Cthulhu, my 
uh, adaptation of Call of Cthulhu for the Gumshoe system. Okay. Uh, for Pearl Grand Press. And in Bookhounds, uh, you play uh, booksellers in London in the 1930s during the Depression. Nice. And so obviously times are bad. You've got to make rent. Um, you're living hand to mouth, possibly, depending on your bookshop. And at the same time, there's a bunch of sweaty occultists and Aleister Crowley wannabes and weird uh, magic Nazis all looking for magic books. So there's a market if you can supply it. So you're the guy who sold the copy of the Liber de Yvonne to <laughs> for their world-ending ritual. But of course, because you sold it, now you have to say, but if he ends the world, then we really won't be able to make rent. So you're sort of caught into it uh, uh, on the um, on the on the back end and uh, and dragged into this sort of uh, sewer of a Cthulhu mythos universe, uh, basically because if you don't, someone else will, and then they won't be able to stop it. So you are sort of forced by you know uh, economic pressure to uh, involve yourself in the mythos. So it's it's about London in the 1930s. It's about the book trade. Um, it's sort of uh, the ninth gate, uh, or the uh, um, uh, the club Dumont, if uh -huh. you're a literary person. Yeah. Um, in in that way, uh, with with, uh, with those um, uh, types of characters going around finding magic books, that was a big inspiration for it. Um, and then in uh, the writings of Ian Sinclair, there's uh, because he used to work as a as as a book scout, and so uh, his novel Whitechapel Scarlet Tracings. Um, and uh, has a, a lot of uh, this grotty kind of behavior. And then the Lovejoy books are about antique trade being low and contemptible, and that's basically the same as books. So there's there's lots of source material to draw on, and that's sort of the, the ones that I drew on when sort of imagining this, uh, this, this market or this ecosystem of guys who have to sell mythos tomes in order to survive, but they don't want to die and they're not cultists so they maybe they sell a forgery maybe they <laughs> out the, the 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 pentacle that uh, lets you bind the thing and they just hope that it eats the sorcerer and solves the problem and then they get rumors of other grimoires out there and they have to track them down so that's sort of the, the place that the adventure takes place so anything sort of grotty and british and involving a book is uh is, is uh grist for the bookhound's mill wow yeah yeah that uh, uh, my uh, friend and uh, co-podcaster Robin Laws said it was the uh, source book I was born to write for the game I was born to write. So yeah, that's um, yeah. It was it was great fun to do. Uh, I I really got into a research hole on it, uh, just finding tons of stuff about London and tons of stuff about the book trade. Uh -huh. Tried to put as much of that in as I could. I might still be researching it if. Um, uh, my friend Will Heinmarch uh, said, uh, and great game designer Will Heinmarch said, mm -hmm. um, how's Bookhounds coming? And I said, oh, <laughs> I, I still have to do X amount more research. I've just discovered a um, an old tourist guide to London, an A to Z, and it's full of, of rumors and wild stories and, and stuff that I want to uh, put in, you know, uh, hauntings. And, and, uh, and Will says, who are you putting it in for? <laughs> well, I know, yeah, it's just for me. So I, I sort of wrapped that up and, and got the, the manuscript done. So I owe that to, to Will's um, uh, sage counsel 
uh, but there's a lot of stuff in it and it's uh it's a great it's a great fun book um and i hope uh even if you don't play trail of cthulhu you can adapt it to your call of cthulhu game uh, because so much of it is source material yeah that sounds like fairly probably easy to adapt i mean i've, I've looked at uh, trail of cthulhu stuff and oh man i love that game that's that's a really neat game just been going over it and learning the uh, rules so once everyone gets out of lockdown or once i can find a group to uh, play with uh, over skype or something i can get a uh, trail of cthulhu game going on fantastic yeah now i want to track down uh, book hounds of london get that one and uh, <laughs> do some of that well, uh, apparently Pelgrane's shipping is not uh, uh, affected by the by the COVID. Oh, that's um, good. Although obviously, if you have a, a friendly local game store, you should call them and place a, a curbside pickup order or whatever oh, yeah. is the the law in Oregon. I'm not sure how you guys are running things. Well, I always but... do everything PDF. So. <laughs> All right. Well, PDFs is simple. You just go to the Pelgrane store and bang zoom. Oh Bob's wow. Miracle. I didn't mean this to be a commercial for uh, stuff, but hey, wow. That's... But somehow it became one. <laughs> Wild. Any, any of my other books you'd like to hear? Oh. A I... detailed pitch for? What else do you have out right now, honestly, that, you know, I, there's, there's stuff out there that I think people would like that definitely kind yeah. of definitely ties into what we're talking about today. I hope a lot of stuff. Um, uh, there's uh, the, the newest, uh, I'm, I'm really not going to turn this into Ken plugs and stuff, but the newest... Uh, <laughs> Trail of Cthulhu book uh, from me is is called Hideous Creatures and it's a bestiary of uh, the mythos. Oh, cool! And it takes uh, an individual monster and looks at it from a bunch of different angles mm -hmm. because Lovecraft made up these monsters because vampires and werewolves and ghosts were all kind of old hat and everyone yeah. knew all the rules and they weren't interesting and exciting and scary because they weren't unknown. Well, now it's 80 years later and nerds like me have ruined it for everyone by. Uh, writing down all the stats of everything mm -hmm. and parsing out what's a great old one and what's not a great old one. Yeah. And this book is an attempt to undo all that damage <laughs> by saying, well, you don't know what a deep one is. You know what you think a deep one mm -hmm. is, but here's mm -hmm. a bunch of other possibilities of what a deep one might be. And here's how it might show up in world folklore. And here's the kind of clues it might leave behind for your game. And here's different powers that they might have or different stats, different abilities here's different ways you can present a deep one instead of the standard fish frog that everyone's used to. Nice. And so the goal is for these monsters to once more become, and lots of completely incompatible explanations for them also. So the goal is for these monsters once more to become balls of unknowable chaos, which is how Lovecraft intended them yeah. to be read. And I did a series called Ken writes about stuff. And about every other month I did one of these little hideous creatures installments about a different uh, Lovecraftian monster or Cthuloid monster, because some of them were pre- or post-Lovecraft. Um, and then the uh, the book com compiles all of those, plus some more monsters written by Gareth Hanrahan and Ruth Tillman, um, and uh, I think another couple of people whose names are not rising to uh, the top of my tongue, uh, and uh, puts them all together. But it's not it's not like the Malleus Monstrorum, a, a sort of complete bestiary. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. a drill down to about 30, 32 monsters, and it goes into sort of super depth as to um, each individual one. So it's not like, you know, you pick one, shoot your shot, and you're done. You can keep using it because the material is deliberately self-contradictory and plastic and and, uh, and and can be, you know, shipped around however you want. And each one of those has 
like a, a bibliography entry. So it, it's sort of where the story came, where the monster comes from uh, in fiction and what other sorts of valuable stories are about it. So each one is basically like a little tiny episode of um, uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's why I thought that Hideous Creatures might be a, a, a good uh, thing to plug, because if you like this show... Uh, this is basically what I'm doing. Cool. It's <laughs> this show, but for each of those monsters. Nice. Nice. That's so cool. I have to pick that up. I, I, it's, I haven't bought any PDFs lately, I've, but yeah, no, I definitely have to f- check out the Pelgrane store and find out what's going on there. Um, yeah, no, I, I, something I was thinking about, uh, a way that one could possibly use Glacky would be in a uh, Delta Green campaign for like Aquarius to deal with. I don't know. You mean Pisces? Pisces, yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Project Aquarius or something like that. I got confused with, right, yeah, yeah, Pisces. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it had something yeah, to do with fish um, the, or the, water. Uh, the, uh, I, I, I'm sure that the ongoing uh, uh, Pisces adventures, uh, which uh, are tangled up with other things in the Severn Valley, not to be spoilers, <laughs> you know, they, they might distract them from Glacky and his troubles, but if... If in nineteen, you know, if in nineteen sixty four he's already basically in charge of that lake, yeah, maybe by twenty twenty he's figured out some way to send his vile dreams all over England and and cause all kind of trouble, <laughs> or create a yeah. cottage community of uh, artists to come to the lake. <laughs> exactly, or a or a biotech company is. Uh, has been fed his uh, his glocky venom from his spines and is making it and distributing it in under the guise of some other thing. Oh, that sounds like something Cody Goodfellow would write about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I think Cody Goodfellow is is, is great to read for whatever you're doing. Okay. Uh, Stuff is very strong. The, um, yeah, so I I think that uh, there's definitely you could get a sort of a a, a Quatermass or or, um, uh, unit or um, Torchwood sort of a vibe out of Glocky. I think he feels very like a Doctor Who villain in a lot of ways because he comes from space and you know his powers aren't magic; they're biotech, they're biotech or they're psychic. Um, so I, I feel like that's that's sort of he has less of a fantasy vibe, mm-hmm, I think, mm-hmm. than than most of the the creatures, certainly than say Sathagua or, or some of these other guys. Yeah, yeah, no, I I could imagine uh, Glacky being used either as like kind of like a monster of the week, one and done, or kind of like you know slow little slow reveal that it's not just a cult oh my goodness no they're worshiping this thing in the lake kind of like and the, and the fun thing is if you, if you track down a glocky cult and it's way the heck on the other side of england either because his dreams have gotten more powerful or because they've got their own source of venom somewhere yeah and you're like um uh, you you fight the glocky zombies and and they're and then they're sort of uh, puffy thing that they're growing in a lake somewhere and you're like okay that's done and it's like oh no that's not the lake the lake is in Gloucestershire. Gloucest, Gloucestershire, sure, sure, sure. Even Satan <laughs> be a Cthuloid experiments. Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire. <laughs> I used to sell British cheese. <laughs> and so you have to go, uh, and then you have to actually go to the lake, which of yeah. course is 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 not a good thing. I, I think there's a, a story in Children of Glacky about sort of the lake becoming like a Loch Ness sort of cryptid. Oh, yeah. uh, spot so that uh, people who are trying to see the monster go and and hang out by the shore of it and of course you know cryptid tourism 
if cryptids not just are real, but if cryptids are extrusions of the mythos, mm-hmm. cryptid tourism is basically just inviting yourself to get possessed <laughs> or, or worse. Yeah. Hmm. So you could, you could play with that. Um, again, like I'm, I'm pretty sure someone has done it in Children of Glacky. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's so much Glacky. So much Glacky. Uh, do you want to hear my, my uh, fun theory? Sure. About, and I think this is only mine. Always. All right. We know from the story in Habit of the Lake mm-hmm. that Blackie's on a meteor and he hits England and he makes that meteoric, meteoric crater. And it's a pretty big crater. It's a half mile across. That implies a big impact. All right. All right. And we also know that this happens after the period of ancient Egypt because in the story, uh, Campbell says that there are uh, heretics of Glacky who believe that Glacky's spines are found in mummies, some certain mummies, mm-hmm. very Lovecraftian use of certain, yeah. um, uh, and that somehow the, the, the pharaohs had drawn Glacky's spines to them through the angles of Tog Klatur, which is a different thing that comes up in, I think, Render of the Veils. Uh-huh. Um, so we know that he hits after ancient Egypt times. He doesn't hit in the primordial past. He hits in the historical past. Okay. And we know that he's already landed by Matthew Hopkins' time because Matthew Hopkins is looking for witches who have the glocky spot, right? So we know that his landing has to be roughly somewhere between 1000 BC, let's just say, or even 300 BC, and 1600 AD, and probably earlier rather than later, just because the legend has to have spread. So my theory is uh, that the... um, the uh, great climate catastrophe that envelops the world uh, between 535 and 540 AD, and you can see it, uh, tree rings get smaller, Mm -hmm. uh, the Greenland ice core gets thicker, uh, there's acid uh, uh, rain in them, indicating that there's some sort of, you know, global fallout uh, situation. Uh, And then, of course, that, uh, that, that period of history uh, simultaneous disasters overcome China and the Byzantine Empire and uh, the uh, the Dark Ages uh, in Europe really sort of get going right around then. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the Olmec civilization, I think, falls apart. There's lots of stuff that happens right in that little window of time. That's also right about the time that King Arthur is running around in England. Gotcha. Right? That the Saxon gotcha. invasions stop because of King Arthur, like right about then. Maybe um, uh, Arthur's a little before, maybe he's right then, whatever. What if the fall of Glacky is literally the dolorous blow from Arthurian literature? (laughs) And that that's why Arthur has to find the Holy Grail, Mm -hmm. is to heal the land because Glacky got punched into it. Yeah. Written basically gets hit by the biggest glacky spine of all that meteor and you can imagine arthur fighting glackeen zombies that have just like emerged from all the dead bodies left when that meteor hit you can you can tie in all kinds of great arthurian stuff yeah because there's nothing about lake legends (laughs) right no nothing mysterious lying in a lake messing with king arthur that's not a thing so yeah if you want arthur to be a glacky cultist right yeah. His Excalibur is one of the spines of Glacky, and that's why it can go through everything. Uh, maybe 
uh, Arthur is fighting against Blackie, and and that's your and that's your campaign. If you've got a more sort of Robert E. Howardy type feel, sure. and you want to fight the mythos instead of uh, <laughs> see everything you love subsumed by it. Um, but but the fact that Blackie's uh, arrival in England can be made easily, not even hard. This is not me forcing anything. Can easily be made to fit this weird uh, a climate moment that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a guy named uh, uh, David Keyes who's written a book called Catastrophe about that, you know, uh, that that global uh, shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says that it's uh, an explosion of the volcano Krakatoa yeah. in Java. Uh, and I, I think it's not an either or. I think Glocky <laughs> punching into the earth can make Krakatoa go off. I think that's yeah. totally possible, right? Oh, definitely. Um, because, again, I think in... Inhabitant of the Lake, there's a line, something like, that the revelations of Glocky give the real cause of volcanoes, or something like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, it's, you know, maybe the real cause of volcanoes is spines of Glocky punching into the Earth's acupuncture points, or something. (laughs) And so the the notion that uh, you can tie Glocky to this not some misty, distant, you know, primordial great race of youth type past, but to a legitimate spot in history and not just, you know, the Matthew Hopkins witchfinder stuff in the 1630s, but the straight up, um, uh, you know, the dark ages fall of the, uh, of Justinian, all that stuff that that's all real historical consequence of a great old one's eruption. And you don't have that really with Cthulhu because of course he rules the world back before there's, you know, uh, mammals, much less yeah. people. Hmm. Crazy. And, you know, you get, well, maybe uh, Sathagwa, like, you know, uh, killed the Hyperboreans in Greenland, but they're yeah. all they're all mythical, right? Uh-huh. Glacky has the potential to literally have a historical impact in a way that uh, other um, uh, other uh, great old ones, they're, they're either super far in the past or they're not here yet. Yeah. So, you know, you can always say, oh, no, the fire of Rome was caused by Cthulhu or whatever, but here we have Glocky literally in the text, in the literal text from the great, the, the heroic, the magical Ramsey Campbell. We have the opportunity to, to put it in and tie it in. So lots of good stuff. Wow, Ken. That, that, as I said, that's impressive. Thank you so much for coming onto the show and talking Glocky or Glocky or however Glock- you want to say Gloucester, it. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I do want to recommend um, Last Revelation of Glocky as a as a good story. It's uh, if uh, Inhabitant of the Lake is sort of an indifferent whisper in darkness pastiche. Yeah. Uh, Re- Last Revelation is a very good riff on Shadow Over Innsmouth. Okay. And it's uh, it, it's it's very strong. It's about a hundred pages long. It's it's like a, a novelette or a novella, and. Um, uh, and it's 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 very good. You can get it in the Visions from Bridgechester collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure it's other places, but uh, it, it worth the worth the purchase alone uh, to find that. It, it's a great uh, Innsmouth riff uh, set, of course, at some miserable seaside resort in in, in Britain, and uh, uh, suffused with the power of Glocky, though it's uh, Campbell not not repeating himself, but expanding on himself. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I really recommend it. It's, it's not as, as um, uh, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's 
I, I just read it. Um, it, it it's not nailed <laughs> down as Glocky was an inhabitant, and I think that the process of making Glocky bigger, uh, I, I think looking at uh, Last Revelation is is a good place to 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 find it. Cool. Very cool. And speaking of places to find, where's a great place to find you, Ken? Uh, as always, uh, every Friday, uh, Ken and Robin talk about stuff.com. We drop another episode of the podcast um, and on the Twitters at Kenneth Height and on Facebook. Uh, I'm, I'm those places. Right. And uh, obviously, uh, DB will be you know jumping off to the Pelgrane Press uh, web store, and you can too. Or, as I say... <laughs> Call your uh, friendly local game store and say, hey, do you have that uh, book, uh, Bookhounds of London and Hideous Creatures? I'd like to swing by and pick them up in a safe, no-contact manner. Yeah, support your local bookstore. Right. All right. Well, Ken, thank you again so much, and we'll have you on next time, I'm sure, to talk about, I think we're talking about toad-shaped gods. <laughs> toad-shaped gods. Yes, because there's well, a couple of them. If only I could think of one. If only I could think of one. <laughs> All right, Ken. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Wow, that was so great. Thanks again, Ken. And hey, everyone, if you want to thank Ken, you can go to Ken and Robin Talk About Stuff. Look for their Patreon. Give them a buck or five. And if you want to help us out, give us a buck or five. Go to pgttcm.com. Look for the store. We've got t-shirts there. You can help us out by buying t-shirts. Also, if you go to the RSS feed, or if you go to pgttcm.com, there's all kinds of stuff on how to become a patron of the show and help the show out. Or hey, go to paypal.me slash pgttcm and donate whatever you want. And that'll go directly to me so I can keep the show running, pay bills for the show, I don't know, just buy snacks for what I'm editing. Basic stuff like that energy drinks so yeah uh here's david heath talking about algernon blackwood if you want to find out more about what david heath's got going on on this podcast feed we've got dave's underground goat shenanigans and various dave's corner of the podcast and dave supplemental stuff just look for the name dave and generally it will be david heath even though i think there's like one or two david flora uh so yeah yeah david heath great contributor to the show and Speaking of the show, this is the penultimate episode of Season 11. We're going to be hopping into Season 12 very soon. There will be some format changes. And, you know, there's been format changes on the show throughout the years and stuff. Good or bad, I don't know. I don't get that much feedback from people. Hey, if you like the show, if you want the show to change in ways other than, like, saying things like, Stop talking about this. This. I don't like it when you talk about that. You know, when... Yeah, I don't want to get into that stuff. Anyway. Um, <laughs> not about the subject matter, but uh, how the shows run and put together or anything like that. If there's anything you want to see, anything you don't want to see, let me know. If you want a mailbag section, that'd be great. If you want to see a fan site, we can do that. If you want to know about upcoming readings and stuff like that, so you can read ahead, so that you can read along, so that you can do research and maybe send in some audio or something like that, uh, next season's going to be a lot more, uh, a lot more different people helping out on the show, and it's going to grow a little bit. So check out season twelve. It's 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 going to be it's it's the most ambitious season we have yet. So. 
it just keeps growing. It's, it's, this podcast is like a shaga. So, yeah, here's David Heath talking about Algernon Blackwood. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, buy a t-shirt. I love you. Hey, everybody, this is David, and I'm, I'm here to talk about Algernon Blackwood. Now, I am sure that this fine program has much more knowledgeable, much more articulate people uh, talking about uh, Blackwood um, than me. And so I'm going to let the professionals discuss more of who he is. We're going to go some history, but I'm going to do basically what I normally do. I'm going to tell you some personal stories and some quirky trivia. And I realize that there is probably someone who is either going on before or after me or on a different uh, episode of this podcast who's going to be much more academic, uh, probably more interesting, but maybe not as quirky. What can you say about Algeron Henry Blackwood? Other than if you are going to write weird fiction, the dude won the cool name lottery. I mean, can you imagine much better name for a weird fiction writer than Algeron Blackwood? It's it's like for a weird fiction writer, that's like getting the name James Bond for a spy. Blackwood. Algeron Blackwood. And it was the guy's real given name. That's who he's born. I mean, Blackwood is such a cool name that for like three years in the early 2000s, uh, Lincoln named their luxury truck the Blackwood. And now I'm sure it didn't have anything to do with the writer, but there are some examples of people using his name uh, in uh, The Chilling Adventures of uh, Sabrina. Uh, on Netflix, uh, the main bad guy uh, is, um, you know, Father Blackwood, the, the head of their uh, coven of witches, but also, you know, the the headmaster at the school, uh, the magic school. And uh, I'm with other characters named, you know, Lovecraft and Shirley Jackson. That obviously was a an homage and, and a direct use of his name. Now, uh, recently, uh, Dark Horse put out a comic book called Blackwood, which, again, it's a sort of a magical school comic. I haven't read, but I've heard good things about it. And uh, last year, in 2019, I was at um, Rose City Comic Con, and I was getting ready for a presentation I was doing in the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival about Lovecraft and comics. And since you know Blackwood is nominally, you know, he was definitely an influence of Lovecraft, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But he's you know nominally related to the Cthulhu mythos. Um, I went up to the the Dark Horse booth where there were several top people with this comic, you know, and I asked if it was inspired by, the name was inspired by, you know, Adron Blackwood. And the person who I talked to wasn't the author, 
uh, but pretty high up in the importance of what was done on the comic, looked at me and didn't have the faintest idea of who I was talking about. And when I mentioned this, and I'm not going to say the name of the person I talked to, but when I mentioned that I had talked to a person pretty high up on the comic at the Lovecraft panel, uh, I was guaranteed by the audience, uh, Evan Dorkin, the, uh, the actual writer, the audience guaranteed me that he knew who Blackwood was and, and was influenced uh, with the choice. And I think that's kind of representative that in a lot of ways, Blackwood is remembered and he's an amazing and astonishing human being, but he's remembered more of his, for his influence than his work. But he, he didn't just write weird fiction. Uh, he wrote plays. He wrote short stories. He wrote children's stories. And, and I haven't read any of his children's stories, but again, I've heard that they're very good for what they are. But it kind of weirds me out in the same way knowing that Ian Fleming, who created James Bond, wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I mean, it's just kind of creepy that this guy who writes so scary, weird fiction also wrote children's stories. And one of his stories, or uh, books, uh, was called uh, Prisoner in Fairyland. And this was made into a play called The Starlight Express. And for a brief period of time, I confused The Starlight Express with Andrew Lloyd Webber's Starlight Express, which is kind of like sexy Thomas the Train Engine on roller skates. Um, Apparently, these two plays don't have anything in common. Uh, In fact, uh, Blackwood's The Starlight Express bombed. Uh, this did terrible, um, and it's it's sad because it just didn't really translate well to a play, but also I guess it was kind of a cheap production, the first one, uh, and it just really didn't go there much from there. So Blackwood, it's fair to say, was very prolific. In fact, um, we may not have all of his stories, Back went down, you know, during this time, uh, it was not uncommon for newspapers to run fiction, uh, and maybe even serial fiction. And so he would often, at short notice, newspapers say, "Hey, we need something in our scary story, you know, fiction." Uh, and so he would just jot something out right away. So he was, he was fast and he was prolific uh, when he had to be. But of all of his writings. I would say the average, uh, you know, weird horror fan, uh, fan of the pulps that he influenced, the two big ones are going to be The Willows and The Wendigo, the, the two W's. And, and Lovecraft is going to, 
he's going to like Blackwood. Uh, he's going to say so, you know, in, in his writing and in his letters. But it's going to be August Derleth that is going to fall in love with the Wendigo and, and, and basically produce three different versions of it, which, you know... Yeah, it's plagiarism. Yeah, it's copying. But in his non-directly taken, tied-in, stolen Lovecraft stuff, Ithaca, which came out of Daryl's um, basically fan fiction rewriting of the Wendigo, it's it's a good story. Um, yeah. The plot and idea is taken from someone else. Yeah, it's bluntly stolen from Blackwood, but it's a good story. And, and you know, as the the B listers of the Cthulhu mythos, I love Ithaca. You know, so yeah, it's, yeah. You know, it it sort of stinks that uh, it was so blatantly ripped off, but. I like it. And, you know, the, the Willows, which Lovecraft just praised and praised, it, it's a good personification of nature as horror story. Yeah, absolutely a great story. And the one thing that you definitely see, sort of just looking at it, see that ties these two stories, uh, a Wendigo and... Willows, besides the W, is, you know, they're both outdoor stories. And because Blackwood was an outdoorsman, he liked camping, he liked canoeing, you know, he he took the, you know, the things he liked, he liked in life, and, and he put them in his stories. And, and that's completely fair. That's, that's not a cheat in any way. And you notice in some of his stories, uh, talk about drug use, and he a cult. He wasn't a cultist, you know. Investigating haunted houses. Yes, he was a early. Well, maybe not early, but well, you know, ghost hunter. Basically, say so. You know, he he writes stories about you know spirits possessing people in barns. Maybe not the actual possession part. But a lot of the, the descriptions and the people and, and what it feels like to be in the barns and stuff chasing ghosts are, are drawn on his personal experiences. Which, again, again, kind of is strange that, you know, a drug-using uh, follower of Crowley who investigates ghosts wrote children books, but, again... That's life. And, you know, definitely, besides being a, a good writer, he, he is just very, very influential. And I couldn't see Derelith or Lovecraft or even in some way Makem's writings being the way they are if Blackwood hadn't written Dolsal. Um, now, I'm going to let the more detailed parts of his life, I'm sure that they'll have someone more scholarly and academic 
and probably better looking than I uh, tell that part of the story. I just wanted to share some of my quirky sort of feelings about the guy uh, and just how grateful I am that he is an influence in weird fiction. And even though really he predated the Pulps, but I think he was greatly influential in the Pulps. Um, My name is David, and I do a uh, podcast. It's called Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans, and hope to see you there. You'll see me there, Dave. I, I produce the show. So, hey, everyone, thank you so much. And, hey, Dave, sorry we uh, forgot to get anyone else to talk about Algernon Blackwood. I forgot to do an Algernon Blackwood episode and figured, hey, I'd put that part in here because I didn't do a Black Clock Audio Tales episode on Algernon Blackwood because I forgot to ask Ken Hyde about it or get Andrew Grace or any of the other wonderful people who I talk to about stuff, Brian Seropoulos and, let's see, uh, Dan Harms, uh, who else? Who else is a great person to talk to about stuff? Uh, Scott Glancy, yeah. And anyway, uh, those 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 are uh, I guess only past guests that you know. I'm I'm sure Rodney Anonymous would have something fun to say about Algernon Blackwood. Anyway, but Dave, Dave was there for me. Thanks, Dave. And yeah, so thank you so much. The this show is brought to you by bunnyslippers.com and founditemclothing.com cool t-shirts from your favorite cult films from the 80s, 70s, 90s all kinds of different decades all kinds of different movies, cult films t-shirts, put them on your body don't be naked speaking of naked don't let your feet be naked put on some slippers you sexy beast and uh, I don't know then your feet won't be cold do you live somewhere cold? Do you live up in the mountains? Do you live, I don't know, someplace in the southern hemisphere where they're currently experiencing winter? Bunnyslippers.com ships internationally. Bunnyslippers.com has bunny slippers for your feet of all kinds of shapes and sizes. If you like sports, they got stuff for sports. Specific sports. Specific teams. You like fantasy stuff? They got fantasy stuff. You like horror stuff? They've got horror stuff. You can get slippers that look like zombies eating your feet. You want something to keep your feet toasty and warm? They got stuff you can stick in the microwave. They got stuff you can plug into a USB port. They've got the cutest Wooly Bull Highland Cow Slippers. They're Scottish Highland Cow Slippers. They're like shaggy Muppet fur. They look like bowls. And yeah, no, they're great. Um, I had to wash mine the other day, so I washed them, like, just threw them in with all my other stuff, all my pajamas. They went through, threw them in the dryer, and then just, yeah, no, threw them on my heater. They're still woolly bowls. They, they, they didn't lose their fluffiness. It was, it was really great. So, bunnyslippers.com, official sponsor of the show for this season. I don't know about next season. I haven't talked yet. Anyway. Rate, review, subscribe. Listen to Ken Height over at Ken and Robin talk about stuff. Rate, review, and subscribe to him as well. Check out Dave's Corner of the Universe, Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans, and also Articulate Warbling with Laura and Zach. Okay, thank you again so much. Produced in Badger Drift Studios in Portland, Oregon. And, yeah. 
pgttcm.com. T-shirts, stickers, whatnot. I love you. Stay squiggly. Keep weird. Keep weird, stay squiggly. I can't remember which one it is. I haven't done that in so long. I think I'm just going to scrap it. It was great for a long time, but I need a new catchphrase. If you can come up with a new catch catchphrase, let me know. Uh, so yeah, here we go. <laughs>